0: The Sunday Review, with Tim Graham.
1: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Sunday Review. Professor of Happiness, Bruce Hood, explains how saving money makes us feel better than getting a hug. Reverend Andrew Hawkin from St Swithens is here to reveal more about an upcoming festival of arts at the church. And Roland Miller has news of a concert by the Forest Road Orchestra. Paul Tolmey talks to Ben Waits and Liam Minor about a new Men's Share listening group that started in East Grinstead. Jago Bailey explores the topic of conservation with University of Sussex student Callum Papworth and Paul returns to talk to local musician B. Reed about her latest track. All coming up in this edition. Getting a good deal on your household bills or groceries is better than petting a puppy or getting a hug. That's according to new research by Money Supermarket that claims saving a few extra quid is the secret to releasing feel-good chemicals in your brain. Here to tell us more is the University of Bristol's Professor of Happiness, Bruce Hood. Bruce, welcome to the show. Can you start by explaining a bit more about this relationship between saving money and a feeling of happiness?
2: Right. Well, there are many things which bring happiness. But one of the things which makes us unhappy is when we feel we're out of control or things are getting on top of us. And that's why financial safety is really important, Um, not overspending and just being a bit more mindful about how we go about purchasing. So this is why happiness is related to, to money. Yes, you can buy things which uh, give you boosts of happiness, and you can go on holidays and all that sort of thing. But actually, it's it's saving money, which I think is probably – the unexpected aspect of happiness that can be brought about by being a little bit more mindful about how you go about it, which is why Money Supermarket and these comparison sites are so useful because they allow you to make considered and thoughtful purchasing.
1: Now, the research seemed to suggest that essential expenses like bills and groceries have the most impact on our well being. Why do you think it is that expenses like that are so significant?
2: Well, these are daily concerns, aren't they? So a lot of our, a lot of the day when we're wandering around, we actually spend a lot of it uh, thinking about unresolved problems, and so putting food on the table and uh, bills are constant reminders about this issue about um, money. So that's why I think they're so important uh, because they're a daily reminder of our responsibilities. And, and so if you don't take stock of these sorts of issues, they can build up over time. And that's why it's important to keep keep on top of things and just be a little bit more thoughtful and, and planning your, your financial security.
1: The study also suggests that a 25% discount on a product is the minimum required to trigger happiness. Is there any kind of scientific basis for this specific percentage? Not really.
2: Uh, I think what's interesting is that it doesn't have to be 100%. Something just making a small saving is actually sufficient enough. And that's because in your brain, when you're making judgments about things, you do what's called a cost benefit analysis. And whenever it looks as if you're going to get something slightly cheaper than what you thought, that triggers a kind of reward system in your brain. So that's why I think even the smallest amount of savings uh, can bring a degree of pleasure. But of course, if you do that on a regular basis, over time, you can actually uh, you know, accumulate quite a lot of savings. I mean, for example, last year, uh, people using the website uh, managed to save a billion pounds on purchases. And this is everything from insurance to the sort of routine things that we have to do. So I think just taking more control over your life uh, being a little bit more considerate about your purchases. It doesn't have to be you know, 50% or 100% of a saving. Something like 25% seems to be a sweet spot, according to this. But as to why that particular percentage, I really don't have an answer for that.
1: Wow, a billion pound is quite a lot of savings there. Now, almost half of those who did make a saving chose to put the money that they'd saved into a savings account. Why is saving money perceived as a source of happiness and security for many individuals, would you say?
2: Well, it gets back to that issue about being in control because when you have a nest egg or you have money you can draw upon it just gives you that peace of mind that i think is is valuable uh you don't have to spend it but the knowledge that you have access to it makes potential threats a lot less uh um you know negative so i think that's what saving money does it gives you a sense of security I mean, a sense of control uh, over the unpredictable
1: interestingly the research highlights that a significant percentage of the population feel unhappy when thinking about their finances, particularly those aged 45 to 54. What are some of the potential strategies or approaches that can help people improve their financial well-being and overall happiness?
2: Well, I think planning is most important. So um, rather than just uh, spending without thinking, I think it's worth considering um why you want something, why you want to spend something and then go about it in a very thoughtful manner. One of the suggestions I make is that before you make a a purchase uh, is just take some time out, set a timer on your phone or just take 30 minutes before you make that decision because that gives you a, a sort of uh, opportunity to consider it a little bit more or imagine what that purchase will mean to you in six months time because very very often we can be very impulsive in our purchases and that's why i think it's important to take this deliberate action in making decisions because i think you'll be much more comfortable after you've made the choice rather than just doing it on the whim
1: now the findings also indicate that men tend to be happier than women when it comes to considering their financial situation Why do you think there's a difference here and what, if anything, can be done to address those disparities?
2: Well, I wonder whether that's just a stereotype. I I do worry sometimes about these gender differences and it could be the case that it's always been thought of, of men as being the breadwinners but i think that's old-fashioned and i think increasingly uh the new, younger generations are, are there's much more parity much more equality over the and of course i think you know this is something we should all consider our personal finances so uh, maybe the men just responded to a kind of stereotype about how they relate to money and maybe women uh, responded negatively but i don't think that is there's no scientific reason for why that should be the case
1: so, where can people go to find out more information about the topics we've talked about today?
2: Well, we can learn more about the, the survey at moneysupermarket.com forward slash mission hyphen billion. But what's really cool is they have put up a, a quiz uh, related to some of the information that we've been talking about. And uh, if you undertake the quiz, Money Supermarket will donate one pound to charity. So, not only do you learn and you test your knowledge. But actually, you can be altruistic and you can help other people who are in need. So I think it's a really good um, campaign by Money Supermarket.
1: Great stuff. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. To find out more about the research and take part in the quiz that Bruce mentioned, visit moneysupermarket.com forward slash mission billion. That's moneysupermarket.com forward slash mission billion. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Next week sees a Festival of Arts at St. Swithin's Church in East Grinstead. The five-day event features art, photography, textiles, floral displays and daily musical events. To tell us more about what's taking place, I'm delighted to be joined by Reverend Andrew Hawkin from St. Swithin's. Andrew, welcome to the show Can you tell us a little bit more about how the festival came about? Yes, hello.
3: Um, Thank you for inviting me. Uh, The festival came about really as uh, one of the art teachers from Sackville School happened to say, oh, wouldn't this make a great venue uh, to display artwork? And I said, well, yes, (laughs) Uh, we're open to that. And it began from there. Small beginnings. So in the first year, the first time we did it, we had the artwork, GCSE and A-level artwork from Sackville School and we displayed that uh, within the church and did some music around it and it uh, brought in the crowds. So the following year we decided to expand a bit and invite Imberhorn School (laughs) to join in as well and really it's uh, gone on from there with a little bit of a break for Covid of course.
1: As you say, it's grown year on year. What can people expect from this year's event? This year's
3: event uh, will showcase uh, Inberhorn and Sackville artwork again uh, from sixth form and uh, GCSE level pupils. And uh, there will also be the musical uh, events around that uh, the, the exhibition. Uh, and there is a lecture by uh, our local historian, um, Catherine Ferry, on the Monday evening as well,
1: and I gather she's going to be talking on the topic of East Grinstead by Sea, which sounds very intriguing. What more can you tell us about that? It's a very intriguing
3: title, isn't it? And I think she's keeping it well under wraps so that uh, it, it uh, perhaps draws people in. But obviously, um, there are things like uh, the the Bluebell Line. Uh, and uh, various bits and pieces like that, and uh, our connection, obviously, with uh, the Sankvilles, um and uh, the, the pavilion down on the, uh, Bexhill at the seafront, um, and all, all kinds of things like that. So I guess that's the kind of direction she might take us in.
1: Now, aside from the rather intriguing talk and the art exhibitions we've spoken about, there are a number of musical events. What can people look forward to over the five days?
3: Yeah, on the Friday lunchtime, uh, some musicians from Sackville School will come and perform for us in the church. Uh, They did a very good show earlier on this year, and I'm sure we shall be treated to reprisals from those. And uh, then we have an organ demonstration and recital by our own musical director, Adrian Goss. Um, And uh, you might like to uh, know that we've spent about £30,000 in restoring the organ this year with a, with some new stops and balancing up the old organ and so it is sounding tip-top and so Adrian will give a demonstration uh, with cameras inside the organ and at the organ uh, desk itself so that people can truly have a good sense of what goes on uh, behind the scenes as it were because normally you can't see the organist, he's in one of the side chapels and of course the uh, the pipes are way up loft at the back of the church and uh, it will be good to see what actually goes on and uh, I think Adrian will open up uh, the book for us and uh, really give us a, a, a good tour of what the organ is capable of. It's a very large instrument as, as people often remark. Um, can be loud but it also has some very interesting uh, soothing stops as well if you like.
1: So that's Friday, what's happening on the Saturday? We have um, a new departure, we have a jazz
3: singer coming from Oxfordshire, um, Fleur Stevenson, on the Saturday evening. That is a ticketed event, uh, but uh, I have known Fleur for a very long time, since uh, I was in ministry in Oxfordshire. Uh, She was actually a junior member of the choir there. Uh, But now she's a a, a jazz singer on the London scene, and, uh, and she's bringing her own band with her. And hopefully that will be a, a new departure for St to have a bit of jazz and a, a different scene, if you like, of music.
1: And I gather local favourites, Ensemble Reza, are going to be putting in an appearance as well. Yes,
3: they're returning. Last year they they brought along themselves and gave us some great fun-filled uh, time of music over the lunch period on, a, on the Tuesday. They're coming again uh, for half past 12 on Tuesday the 4th of July. And uh, if anyone knows of them, they are uh, a very, uh, very capable, but also a, a great fun uh, little ensemble. And uh, they, they give you a, a pretty good story. Last time they centered all the music around East Grinstead and it was amazing how much uh, there was to do with uh, East Grinstead or Sussex. And uh, so we look forward to them returning and taking us in another musical direction. That is, is a free uh, concert on that day. Uh, donations um, would, would be invited, but it's a free concert to anyone who'd like to turn up at 12.30 on the Tuesday.
1: As you've mentioned, you need to pay for some of the events. How can people get hold of tickets for those? Um, you can obtain tickets from our parish office at St Swithin's
3: uh, or online um, from our website, uh, or you can telephone the, the parish office, as I said, and obtain them that way. Um, For the uh, lecture by Catherine Ferry, uh, tickets are available also in the bookshop in town, in the high street. Uh, John is a great fan of Catherine, so uh, he he looks after her there as well. So that's uh, a second place to pick up tickets.
1: For many of the other events, it's donations welcome. What are you planning to use the donations for?
3: To be honest, uh, most of the donations go to cover the costs of mounting the festival, We don't intend this to be a money-making exercise at all. Uh, It is uh, an event for the whole community of East Grinstead uh, and most of the money that we make will be used, as I say, to defray the costs of putting it on.
1: There's a huge amount going on over the four days. Where can people go to get a reminder of what's on when?
3: All of the events will be published uh, on Facebook. uh, They will be on our website. And there is a trifold leaflet. Uh, They can obtain copy of that in the library uh, in East Grinstead uh, and uh, in the bookshop. And if they pop into the church, there are lots and lots of uh, publicity leaflets there as well. And uh, we've even distributed some leaflets around the town.
1: Fantastic. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. And I hope the festival goes well.
3: Thank you. Um, I hope it's going to be another good festival. Last year we had... An excellent football, and uh, once again we look forward to welcoming in our community around us.
1: To book tickets and get more information on the five-day Festival of Arts which runs from Friday the 30th of June until Tuesday the 4th of July visit swithin.org.uk that's swithin.org.uk and then click on Festival of Arts. You can also contact the parish office on weekday mornings by calling 01342-325026. That's 1342 325026. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview 107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview 107. It's concert time again for the Forest Row Orchestra. The community-based group will be playing at the primary school on Saturday, the first of July. To tell us more, I'm joined by the orchestra's conductor, Roland Miller. Roland, welcome to the show. Now, before we talk about the upcoming concert, can you start by telling us a bit more about the orchestra and its history?
0: Yes, of course. Thank you very much, Tim. Uh, so the orchestra is a little over 30 years old. Uh, it started in the early 1990s. I became a conductor in 1994, so I've been doing it for about 29 years. Uh, we rehearse at Forest Row Primary School and we do most of our concerts in Forest Row, either at the school or more usually at the Village Hall. Occasionally we go a little further afield, for example, to East Grinstead. but we're very much a, a sort of local Forest Row-based organisation.
1: And how did you yourself get involved with the orchestra? Well, <laughs>
0: slightly by accident, actually. I, I moved into Tunbridge Wells because my wife comes from Tunbridge Wells, Um Um, back in 1993 and I was looking I was really looking for a choir to conduct because that was my experience my background and I saw an advert in the Tunbridge Wells Courier and I misread it I thought it said Forest Road which was a road just quite close to where we live and I thought oh that's convenient so I phoned them up and made made the arrangement to go along for an audition and then discovered right at near the end of the call that I'd got the location completely wrong and it was actually Forest Road which um, (laughs) is about 25 minutes away And and I sort of thought, well, I was too embarrassed to admit by uh, my mistake. So I I went along to the audition and uh, it went pretty well. And, uh, well, I'm still here.
1: So can anyone join the orchestra or do you need to be of a certain standard first?
0: We don't audition. It's very much uh, uh, people come and play for fun. So it's very much um, an orchestra that people are going to like to come to the rehearsals and enjoy playing. So, as I say, we don't audition. We... Um, We suggest a kind of minimum standard of grade four or five in order to get, um, you know, get some enjoyment out of it and and not feel too stressed during the rehearsals or in the run up to a concert. Um, But that's just a suggestion. As I say, the primary aim is is to have fun and for people to enjoy their Saturday mornings, which is when we rehearse.
1: And are you looking for any particular musicians at the moment?
0: Well, uh, we, we we could always do with more string players. Um, violins, violas, cellos, double basses. Um, th- there's never a limit on how many string players we want. So uh, otherwise, at the moment, we're short of bassoons, which would be nice. Uh, another horn player would be good. Um, but, but as I say, the focus is very much on string players.
1: So you mentioned that you meet on Saturday mornings to practice and rehearse. Do you meet all year round?
0: We meet during term time, uh, and we rehearse from nine to ten thirty at at the primary school, Forest Road Primary School.
1: Now you've got a concert coming up next weekend. How many times do you normally perform each year? We do two concerts a year normally, uh, beginning of February,
0: beginning of July, and they're most usually for charities. We like to use do local charities, support those where we can, otherwise um, to sort of the national charities.
1: So tell us a bit more about the upcoming concert. How did you decide what pieces to include? Well, one of the pieces we're doing, in fact the longest piece, is
0: um, a concerto by Mozart. his concerto for flute and harp and that really, the idea for that really originated from the fact that um, I had a flautist in mind, a a lady who had come and played for us a few years ago and she played a Mozart flute concerto and uh, was very good indeed. The orchestra loved her um, and I do know one or two harpists, so I thought, let's put them together. And very conveniently, Mozart had written a concerto for flute and harp. It's the only one I know of. Um, so that's the, really the sort of mainstay of the programme. That's a, a good half hour. So then it was just a question of finding another couple of pieces to fit in with that. Um, and I thought another piece which includes the harp would be good. Um, so the um, the suite from Peleas et Mélisande by Gabriel Foray, the French composer, um, fitted that bill. That's just under quarter of an hour. And the other piece we're doing actually was a piece that was written for us about 25 years ago by um, Andrew Campling, who's the son of uh, someone who played it in the viola section for us back then. And he is a, a, a sort of well-established conductor and composer in London. So he's written a suite. He wrote a suite called the Glenfinnan Suite. Um, so it's based on Scottish melodies. So putting all that together, um, that forms quite a, quite a varied
1: program. I hope. Sounds fantastic. How long does it take you to put together a performance like this?
0: Well, as I say we rehearse um all through the all through the um term time so um you know so that's probably about 3 months worth of rehearsals on Saturday mornings each for, for each of those
1: concerts I would say. So reminders where and when is the concert taking place?
0: So the concerts uh a week on Saturday it's on the 1st of July. And it's at the Forest Row Primary School, the Church of England Primary School, which is where we rehearse. We, we usually do concerts in the Village Hall, but we, we they were double booked this, this year. So we're doing the concert at the school, which is actually a really good venue. Um, that's on um, just off Hartfield Road um, in Forest Row. The concert's at 11 o'clock. Um, we offer refreshments in the interval. So the concert, I would say, would probably finish around 12.45.
1: And how much are tickets for the event?
0: Tickets are £6 for adults, £1 for children. We we try and keep it accessible.
1: You mentioned that the proceeds from your concerts go to good causes. Which charity have you chosen for this concert?
0: Well, this time it's a charity actually um, suggested by our harpist, Anna Wynne, um, and that's Alzheimer's Research UK. To charity which as it says um, basically researches the causes and potential cures for Alzheimer's and, and, and other dementia type diseases.
1: Brilliant, so if people want to find out more about the concert or the orchestra in general where can they go? Best site is probably, we have a Facebook page if you just search for Forest Row Orchestra that, that would bring it up. That's great. Roland, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us a bit more about the orchestra and your upcoming concert. Thank you very much for having me the Forest Row Orchestra summer concert takes place on Saturday the 1st of July at 11am at the primary school on Hartfield Lane in Forest Row. Tickets are 6 pounds for adults and 1 pound for children with proceeds going to Alzheimer's research. For more information on the concert and the orchestra in general, visit forestroworchestra.com. That's forestroworchestra.com. We'll post a link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. You may remember that we featured the Men's Share listening group a few months ago on the show. The Crawley-based group has now started weekly sessions here in East Grinstead. Paul Tolmey found out more from Ben Waits and Liam Miner on his mid-morning show this week. Their conversation featured some sensitive issues.
4: Men's Share is um, essentially... organization for men to come together and talk about their problems so to share what's going on for them in a safe environment that's with no judgment it was founded in 2021 um, basically for a need that there wasn't anywhere for people to go and talk and to share their stuff and, and let's face it there's a there's a mental health crisis out there um, the suicide rates are extremely high um, and you know, realistically, men don't feel that they have a place to share. Unfortunately, this, this organization was founded um, because of that need. It would be better if the need wasn't there, mm. but ultimately it is. And the brilliant thing is that the numbers and people that are turning up to this are are really high and people are getting an awful lot out of it. So, um, yeah, I'm very passionate about, about people getting help and sitting in these kind of circles and talking and doing the work that we do it transforms lives. So mm. uh, uh, we, we we were saying just before we came on air that, that the, the hardest part of it is,
5: is just getting through the door. Absolutely. That's the first that's the that's the toughest part.
4: Yeah, and, and for me, you know, my, my experience I've I've sat for many, many years in circles, uh, not necessarily Men's share before Men's Share, helping people with various different problems. But you know, I was one of those people and I had to walk through a door and sit my bum in a seat and get some help and you know it's transformed my life and the fact that Men's Share is out there now and coming to East Grimsted I've lived in East Grimsted all my life well since I was two and it's really nice to see that there's a group that's been formed here that will you know will help people in a multitude of different ways you know they can have mental health issues for for so many different reasons but the reality is lots of people keep it contained inside you know they don't know where they can get access to help Whereas, you know you come and sit in this circle without judgment you can hear from other men similar circumstances people can empathize with you they can they can understand what you know that, that you've got a problem and they can offer support and sign like, post you to a place that you may get help or you may get help within that within that circle but mm. you know it's so powerful and i've seen it We've been to that we've got what we've got meetings in crawley or circles in crawley and i've seen it in action it's that's fantastic it's great to be you know bringing a lot of my expertise and skills to be like a leader of that circle and give back to the East the community and i think you know it's something that's been crying out for you know we need we need men to be talking you know we really need men to be talking and to talking about their problems because if you keep it inside it causes you all sorts of problems
5: would, would you say there's an element of maybe relief when you've when you when you finally go right i need to do something about this and you go through the door and you think right now i'm going to get some help
4: yeah absolutely i mean just just the fact that you've been able to talk to somebody that potentially understands is a huge relief you know it can guarantee if you come and sit in one of these circles that by the time you leave it will it won't feel any worse <laughs> but you'll probably feel a whole lot better mm. and that's that's the truth you know and and not only that, you'll have, you'll have connected with people that, that, can, that can help you. you yeah. And it's okay to ask for help. And that's a really important thing for mm. me. Uh, one thing I had to learn about eight years ago, it's okay to ask for help. Uh, and if you're really struggling, or if you're just struggling a little bit, you know, reaching out and asking for someone, say, I'm not okay, can you help me? It's so important. And I was, I was saying to you earlier, I met with a family from East Grinstead that, that their son tragically didn't couldn't get that help. And they're really supportive of, of this initiative of Men's Share. And, um, you know, I met with them a couple of weeks ago and it was really heartbreaking to hear their story. But they really want to help men in this area, you know, from 18 onwards to, to access help, you know, to not have to get to a point where there is no return um, and to be, you know, to realise that there are support groups out there. There are people out there that understand them.
5: Um, Lee, let's bring you in because you've been, you've been helped by the group.
4: Yes, yeah. Um,
6: so tell, us your, tell us your story. I, um, I was introduced to the group uh, probably end of March time, um, going through a lot of different situations, um, from uh, severe knee injury to loss of job to uh, loss of home, loss of relationship, um, parent alienation. Um, and all those, you know, my world crashed effectively um and i was finding myself becoming more and more anxious and and you know stressed and and just not able to cope so um i was signposted to men's share um and i have to say i haven't i haven't looked back because i i think about it now and i wonder what i'd where i'd be without it and i'm i'm not sure that p- picture is a pretty one no um simply because there is nowhere for men to go at the moment other than this men's chair. Mm. um where we can go and talk and and not feel judged and not feel like you know we're lesser we're lesser men than than we are because you know as men we are proud and we you know we're we're the hunter gatherer Mm. and we're out there and we're and we're fighting every day and and sometimes it just becomes too much and, and and we feel like we have to hold it in and and that's dangerous yeah and we know this for so many reasons because there are the you know like ben's mentioned there's Way too many men mm. are getting to the stage where they cannot see a way out, and that yeah. can't be right. No, because you know, th- there is always a way out, you just need somebody to maybe help you. Um, and, and asking for that help is the first step. So, um, I'm starting my journey, um, I'm three or four months in, um, but I'm you know, really invested in it because I know how much it's helped me. Um, I can now cope with situations that land on me know in, in a far better way than I did you know twelve weeks ago mm. um so getting getting the message out there to to these men is that listen, you know it's not you you're no less a man to 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 ask for help, so you know make that step, make that call because it will change because everything is temporary, nothing is permanent, mm. whether it be good, bad or ugly so um trying to get into the guys. You know that sort of mentality and and and, and supporting them where we can um is, is is what it's about and like i say it's it's massive it's been a massive part of what mm. i'm now doing and, and being a an engagement support leader is 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 really important to me and I'm, and I'm really looking forward to the challenge ahead and the fact that you can empathize with people as well look i've i've been there i know what it's
5: like to, i didn't you know if i didn't turn it around the so can you
6: Uh, it's amazing yeah Uh, i remember you know i'll never forget my first circle um you know i walked in there thinking nobody's gonna understand what i'm going through um and yeah literally walked out of there just astounded Uh, uh, you know and and a bit of sorrow there as well because there are so many men going through so many Mm. things and 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 a lot of it is to do with relationship stuff and police stuff and um, which is which is never good, um, but our voices are not, are not really heard out there at the moment, mm. and that needs to change because if you don't change that, we're going to continue seeing these suicide rates increase. So, to give the man the skills that he needs, whether it be anger management, whether it be you know relationships situations, whether it be child um, access, um, financials, uh, housing. I mean, I'm homeless at the moment. I'm living out of my car. Mm. Hey, you know. It is what it is, but, you know, trying to get through to the council and that, it's not easy.
4: Mm. Ben, let's, um, let's come back
6: to you. Tell us about your story as well.
4: I'm not as interesting as Lee, but, <laughs> 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 you know, I grew up. I mean, I, I, I had an interesting, uh, uh, interesting upbringing, you know, from my dad died when I was really young. I left an awful lot of scars in my life. Um, and I wanted to go and help people, but ultimately inside I wanted help. I grew up very sad and very, you know, very afraid as a kid. Um, and you know, I went down some interesting paths. I won't go into the details, mm. but you know, interesting paths. And it took a lot to get me back from essentially the depths of a very dark place. And I ended up first responder on motorways, dealing with some pretty tragic, horrific stuff. Seeing some stuff that left me in a really, really dark place. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you don't. You know, whatever your background, you can come into Manchester. You know, I. On the surface, I was a very successful person, very good job, but I had massive PTSD, chronic insomnia. I had issues with with all sorts of things, and and I didn't know how to get help. And, and essentially, I became broken, I became mm-hmm. absolutely broken, and I did not know how to ask for help. And there wasn't a men's share group there. There wasn't, any. but when I found the right people that could help, you I mean, my life started to transform. It started to really transform. I started to sit in circles, similar to this and people showed up for me they showed up for me and i realized that you know i wasn't alone i wasn't and didn't need to be alone mm. and I, I mean i accessed help through the nhs i accessed help through charity support groups you know i was literally at a point where where you know many people are where they didn't want to be alive anymore um and it took it took an army of people to put me back together and fix me but what that you know that journey that i've been on has, has given me the ability to empathize and see from other people what they're going through and i can see you know if, if i see a man walk into a circle i can i can feel his pain and i can see what he's going through mm-hmm. and i can help him you know the reality is i've been given a gift of being brought back from essentially the depths of despair to being someone who loves life and i love life today despite what's going on for me you know despite what's happening i still love life you know it's, it's for me it's it's about giving back it's about being able to sit in that circle with other people and give back what was freely given to me by by people out there. And I get a huge amount from it as well, you know, it, it allows me to, you know, to see our people grow from what Lee was describing as being pretty broken when he first walked in to being in a in a in a much better and improved place feeling supported and that you know that's rewarding and it and it restores faith in humanity for me as well. And the ripple effect of that's massive, you know, if you can if you can improve one person's life, their family's lives improves all around them. you know, if they are really struggling they're gonna you know their families are going to be struggling their peace of mind is going to be gone there you know and that's what really struck me talking to the family i was telling you about you know the impact that that this has had that event has had on their lives is huge you know and if we can avoid just one person and it's going to doing the same thing that happened to that then you know it's almost like oh, it's the whole thing is worthwhile mm. so tell us about the um sessions that are starting yeah since within church the, the church hall so i mean since within is the church that's at the top of town it's the, mm. the biggest structure in east crimson so you should be able to see it. it's the castle looking thing poking <laughs> up the top of town <laughs> um yeah essentially there's a church hall that's just around the side there so the sessions are starting at seven we'd ask you to come a little bit before so that you can get set up if you want to have a cup of coffee get that before we'll be sitting down at seven and starting so yeah, it'd be every Tuesday. So at the moment, it's every Tuesday at seven. Myself, I'll be there. There'll be someone. Uh, the co-leader will be John. John will be there as well. If anything, you just want to come and have a cup of coffee and a biscuit, that's absolutely fine. Um, but I would urge you, you know, if you're struggling, if you're in need, if you need of some support from some men, just want to come for a chat. Just come down.
6: Um, it's important to, I think, mention as well that you're invited in the circle to to sp- to speak if you choose, mm. but there is no obligation. Yeah. So if you wanted to just come and listen and, and see what it's about, there's no, no one's going to force you mm. to, uh, t- to tell your story. That's, that's for you to do when you feel ready. But you know, just know that you'll be, you'll be supported and you'll be held and,
1: and there'll be people there that can empathise. Ben Waits and Liam Miner talking to Paul Tolmy about the Men's Share Listening Group. These Grinstead sessions take place at St Swithun's Parish Hall every Tuesday evening. Doors open at 6.45pm for a prompt start at 7. Hot drinks and free parking are provided. For more details on the session and the other groups running in Crawley, you can visit mensharelisteninggroup.co.uk that's mensharelisteninggroup.co.uk or call 07508 336 995 that's 07508 three six double We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On his Environment Show this week, Jago Bailey covered the topic of conservation. Providing an insight into this was Callum Papworth, a student at the University of Sussex.
7: So I study geography and international relations. The international relations part often becomes a lot of international development, which is why... I study kind of a lot of things about environmental conservation and, you know, colonial colonial perceptions of of, um, the environment, stuff like that. And then the geography part of it also kind of comes into that a bit with sustainable development and looking at a bit of that. Mm -hmm. And why do you think the environment has had such an appeal for you in terms of when you pick your modules? I think it's probably for a couple of reasons. So I come from quite an environmentally conscious family. You know, my parents are very environmentally conscious, my stepdad's like really into like wilding and stuff like that mm-hmm. um you know I've come from quite like my step family's quite agricultural in that in that regard um and then I think it's just something that you know I've kind of heard a lot about in the media I think mm-hmm. we all have and it's something that I think through that I've become quite passionate about and like trying to become more aware of it because of climate change and how prominent it is and how big of an issue it is I think that's kind of had quite a big impact on on how I think about things. Just for our listeners could you just talk a little
8: bit about what conservation is and why it's such a hot topic?
7: Sure so from from what I've I've learned about it conservation the the main goal of conservation is to protect the environment Mm -hmm. um, and to preserve natural resources and biodiversity of kind of biodiverse hotspots and trying to preserve natural areas the reason it's become such a hot well there's always been a hot topic i suppose is because of the effects it has on local people and local populations and and traditions in that sense it's quite controversial Mm -hmm. um because a lot of conservation is about restricting human access to to natural areas that's why it's become so controversial have you looked into any particular case studies where You've got
8: a conservation um, effort taking place to protect a certain area, but there's also conflicting impacts of that mm. where, you know, a local population might be at,
7: at risk in some sort of way. Yeah, so I, I think the biggest one, the biggest one that I've looked into is the Maasai in, in Tanzania. It's a very well-known topic. There's, there's so much literature about it and mm. so much research into it. Because it's it affects such a group, big group of people. And you know, the Maasai are kind of seen as like the cultural flagbearers of of African identity mm-hmm. and are often kind of overrepresented, I'd say in a way. Yeah. Which I guess is why it's it's such a, a popular topic to talk about. Mm-hmm. I'd say that's that's probably and the what, one.
8: Just for people who might, I'm sure most people have heard of the Maasai, mm-hmm. but yeah. what's what sort of characterizes the Maasai in terms of how they what sort of um, livelihoods they live in in Tanzania, as
7: you've looked into? They're a pastoral community, mm-hmm. so that means that they 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 live off the land yeah. exclusively, and all of their, you know, agricultural techniques and and traditions and culture is all linked to the land that they live on. Mm-hmm. It's all very very connected. Which is why conservation can become such an issue for a community like that, because mm-hmm. if you try and separate them from their their surroundings, it's almost like you're separating them from their culture. I'd say. And going into the the specifics of of that case study, mm. I read that
8: you've looked in with your essay to you focus on the evictions that have been yeah. taking place. So, mm-hmm. what's the justification for the evictions of the the Maasai from their ancestral
7: lands? So the the main justifications would be there's this idea that the Maasai are negatively impacting their environment and that they're, they're detrimental to the, to the ecological well-being of, the, of, the, of their environment in Tanzania. So the government's main objective is to, in order to preserve the environment, you remove the thing that, that you, you perceive to be the most harmful to it, yeah. which in this case is the Maasai. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to evict them in order to preserve the environment. But that's, a lot of that is about, is mainly encouraged by, you know, international organisations and international conservation agencies
6: mm-hmm.
7: that are, you know, kind of peddling this idea that they're bad for the environment, when mm-hmm. the Maasai have been in their ancestral land for almost over 400 years, I think it was, so, and they've been doing that sustainably, so to then come in and suggest that they're the negative, they're the thing that's, that's the problem, is, is where, why it's become so, so controversial. It's so obviously not the case, you know.
8: Yeah, would you say that the you know, you've, you feel sympathy towards the Tanzanian government because it's almost broader global forces that are, are driving this? What, what are the sort of main factors responsible for this process that's been playing out? You
7: can't just look at it as a local case, mm-hmm. it's not just the Tanzanian government that they're, they're not the bad guys in this, mm-hmm. it's the kind of the hand that they've been dealt almost forces them into this position so you you have to take into account colonial histories and and where they are kind of on the economic ladder in the in the global international system so i would say more than it being the tanzanian government's fault i would say it's the the kind of the neoliberal model within which it sits um so you kind of get this commodification of of green spaces and green lands which kind of receive as like as conservation areas because they they become tourist attractions and this this way to make money for local governments that are I would say disadvantaged because of their histories, so they have to look for other ways to create money and generate income in in the position that they're in. Yeah. What sort of histories are you referring to? That they're, they're colonial histories, colonial histories. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, without yeah. A doubt,
8: yeah, without a doubt. And for those who who maybe aren't as familiar, what is neoliberalism and why is it an important process mm-hmm. to, to consider when we look at these examples
7: yeah the, neoliberalism is quite a tricky one to define yeah um, i think you'd struggle to find one specific definition i would say in this case it's more important to look at the economics of neoliberalism so neoliberalism is all about minimal government intervention in the economy and the idea behind that is that it then produces more income for everyone so it's, it's you know, intimately linked to capitalism mm-hmm. and trying to produce as much income as possible, which kind of spreads into all facets of society. So in this case, that's that's green spaces and, mm-hmm. and natural areas. So it almost becomes these green spaces and conservation areas become a product that, that can be sold and bought for capital mm-hmm. under the neoliberal model. Is this way of doing things... as
8: you've you've said, is is disadvantageous for Indigenous groups. Mm. How can we strike a better balance between protecting our natural resources and also protecting the interests and cultures of certain groups?
7: Is there a way forward? I would say that there is, but it's not. I I think the idea behind conservation is good. Like, we do have to look after our, our green spaces. We do have to protect these, these valuable resources because otherwise we, we might not have them for longer, mm-hmm. for much longer. There, there isn't one kind of model that you can, you can, you can use for every conservation area. Mm-hmm. I think it's very location-specific. So there's this idea of, of trade-offs, right? So you have to look at the specific case of, of the conservation area that you're looking at you have to look at the how the local population interacts with their area, um, and what sort of traditions and and the way that they live are linked to the, to that area, which is often overlooked because yeah. you've got these you know massive corporate entities and these massive organisations that gloss over that they they miss it. So I think going forward, we just need to be more aware of how conservation affects local populations Mm -hmm. and come up with you're never gonna you're never gonna keep them completely happy because you're going to be restricting them Mm -hmm. that's that's the idea of conservation is you're 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 preventing people from interacting with their surroundings Mm -hmm. which is a tricky thing to justify Mm -hmm. i think so you have to you have to just take into account what's going on on the ground and, and try and try and make policies that are as fair as possible Mm -hmm. and trying to protect the environment but at the same time respecting indigenous rights and would you want to see indigenous
8: groups to have the ability to be more active in those policy making decisions
7: oh yeah absolutely so i think particularly with the mass side they've been pretty absent from making policy decisions Mm -hmm. i think initially they, they were involved a bit more, but as it became bigger and much a much bigger issue, their voice was kind of lost in all the noise and it became all about the conservation, but then you, you, everyone seemed to forget about yeah, the Maasai, which obviously, you know, has come back around because there's been such a big, you know, human rights movement towards it and trying to promote awareness like it went to court several times, prevent the eviction of the Maasai and they, yeah. they did win that. They did win that um, court case so yeah definitely you need more indigenous voices in policy making and conservation yeah. without a doubt basically from these
8: these conservation areas that are present in tanzania and that are growing and expanding mm. the maasai really don't benefit at any point no. from this um but you, can you talk a bit more about the ecotourism and how that might serve certain certain players but actually in terms
7: of the maasai it, it really isn't beneficial yeah, at all absolutely i think i think this comes back to that neoliberal model mm. so by trying to promote growth, well, economic growth specifically, it kind of becomes this eco-tourism model because that's the best way to generate income from it. So with conservation areas, you get multiple tourism packages that offer um, like safari tours and, and all of these you know, luxury tourist attractions that, that people like, from Western countries or Europe or, or wealthier countries can mm-hmm. afford to pay for. So it almost becomes the default model of conservation is that you, you conserve the environment and then you sell it as an attraction. And I think that kind of becomes a bit of a problem because mm-hmm. you, you almost offer an, an alternative incentive to conservation. It's mm-hmm. like it doesn't become about protecting the environment. It becomes about creating money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the problem is. I think that's where the problem I think you've got it backwards. You know, we need to, we need to protect the environment first and have that as the priority. Because if you don't, then you get all these ulterior motives about generating money through ecotourism,
1: like in Tanzania. Callum Papworth talking there to Jago Bailey about conservation. And that was just a short snippet. You can hear the full interview on our Listen Again service at meridianfm.com. We'll post links on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Jago will be back with his next Environment show this Wednesday at 2pm. On Tuesday's mid-morning show, Paul Tolmey spoke to musician B Reid about the process of recording her latest track, See Her.
9: I've sung as long as I can remember, really. Um, I used to do a lot of musical theatre growing up, so that's how it started, doing grades in musical theatre. Um, in terms of kind of personal inspirations. I started singing and writing after my granddad passed away when I was 15. Mm. Um, So around this time, my brother was taking guitar lessons. I was doing piano lessons. And um, yeah, my my granddad was a really gifted musician, um, really wonderful vocalist as well. And my brother was playing guitar. I watched him. I thought, oh, I'd I'd really, really like to do that. Um, And also to be feel a bit closer to my granddad as well so I switched from piano started playing guitar started singing uh, and from there I started writing Um, I taught myself guitar after that um, music and yeah I just started writing songs Um, in terms of kind of day-to-day inspirations I have a really wonderful singing teacher called Zoe Mace who um, really encourages me to kind of listen to different inspirations, whether that's Celtic folk music or more classical sounds. And I have as well my musical idols. So I really, really love Bruce Springsteen and uh, he influenced me a lot uh, in that process as well. So you
5: were saying that you were you, you like guitar yourself?
9: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had the lessons um, and she was a lovely lady a bit of a stickler for kind of like learning how to read music and going about everything quite properly and I thought no I just I just want to write songs Mm -hmm. so I, I went on YouTube and taught myself um how to do it and um singing at the same time is is also yeah a skill in itself which has to be learned a bit of multitasking.
5: So take us through then the, how you how you actually put a track together because obviously there's a lot. It, it's, mm. it's it's great to hear the end result, but there's so many different elements to it: the the, the music, the lyrics.
9: The yeah, yeah, yeah. So the process there's a process of kind of writing the track, and then the process of production. So I'll talk a bit about both. Mm. Um, the process of writing is usually for this song uh see her it was a very kind of quick and easy process um I started off with two chords and then I thought about kind of what was going on with me emotionally um and my best friend had just moved to Wales and it was kind of about missing her and imagining that I was seeing her like on the street I don't know if You do that like where you mistake strangers for kind of people that you really, really want to see. Um, So, yeah, I, I just wrote the lyrics in about half an hour to the chords and then the song was done. And then it was the question of producing it, which is a different thing. So I made a demo on my laptop using some software and I realized music production is very, very difficult and not necessarily my strong suit so uh, then I thought okay I'll make the demo and I'll send it out to different producers and see if they can help me kind of put it into the vision of of kind of what I want and so yeah I, the track you'll hear is the third version that I actually had done and it was the version that aligned most with kind of what I wanted it to sound like um, and then I can explain a bit about the technical process Mm. of of how to do that. So uh, I went down to Brighton to Jake Skinner's studio there and I spent the day and we started off with the guitar, the bass line and they're all kind of live instruments. Um, And then on top of that, so I sung over the guitar separately and then on top of that main line vocal, there's harmonies and then there's also a piano and guitar melody that we put over the top but some of the song has real instruments and other parts it's synthetically put in using uh, something called a MIDI keyboard. But yeah, that's basically how it goes. And so I did that for a day. And then a week later, I had a mixed and mastered version of the song.
5: How how was that week? Is that quite nervous when you think, you know, oh, goodness, no, I don't know what this is going to come out like.
9: Yeah. So it was really, really nerve wracking. Mm. And I definitely ran into a few challenges because I had only kind of played in my room on my own. I didn't realize that when you record a track, it is done to really rigorous time and you have to be on the beat. And because I haven't played with kind of other musicians or anything, there was no one for me to be taking that cue from. Um, So it was quite difficult um, doing that. And yeah, I was I got into it though. I think it's a bit like this really, like once you get into something that you're really passionate about, like the nerves kind of fade away.
5: How hard is it to get it on something like Spotify?
9: It's um so you can use a music distributor. The one I used was called DistroKid mm. and you just pay like a standard fee. It's it's quite cheap and um it puts it on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. Um, and lots of other uh, lower uh, streaming platforms. Um, So, yeah, it's pretty easy. You can just upload it yourself. Uh, Yeah.
5: Have you had to kind of push it to sort of promote it or have you decided to just let it take its course?
9: Yeah, I think kind of I just let it take its course, to be honest. I wasn't really sure what I wanted from doing it or anything. I think I just thought if I've got a song out there, that's really, really cool, and that's like a big achievement. And then if people listen to it, that's even better. So yeah, but I can, um, you can, yeah, you can find it on Spotify and everything like that.
5: Mm. What, if anything, would you do me- differently, maybe next time? Because sometimes mm. you can go through this process and think, oh well, as you maybe I should have sort of done this, but I yeah,
9: yeah, yeah. No, that that's a really good question. There, there are a few things that I would do differently. Like obviously. It's a learning experience, and you learn these things by kind of going um, and doing them. In terms of the super technical stuff, I would say to do with the release of the song. To get onto the Spotify playlists, which are curated, you have to, you haven't, you can't have released the song already. So I released the song, and then I thought, okay, I want to be on like my coffee break or walk in the woods, um, but you have to have done the release um afterwards so that's one kind of very technical thing I'd say um and another thing would be to say kind of maybe having some practice playing with another musician just to like get that timing as I said earlier I think that would have been really really helpful and going forward I think that's what I will definitely do
5: Mm. what then is the plan for the future because it's quite it's quite it's a nice sort of ballady track would you maybe maybe do something a bit more upbeat next time
9: yeah i think so i i think a lot of the songs that i write they can be a little bit sad and then i've got some really really happy ones because you write for me i write music when i'm of trying to process an emotion um but yeah I think my plan is to record a few more because I have got lots of songs I just haven't recorded them yet um and hopefully build up to doing live performance that would be my next big kind of goal because I can be quite a shy person um so I think that would be a really big big thing i'd like to do yeah would
5: you consider maybe like an open mic night
9: yeah yeah definitely something like that um or like uh, in a restaurant even or a pub yeah literally anything so that would yeah that would be really good for me i think
5: all right well um tell us where people can find uh more about you and your music
9: yeah so you can stream see her on spotify or if you'd like to look me up on facebook it's just beatrice reed or well, there's more about my music uh, on my instagram uh, and the handle is bread 56 so that's b e a . r e i d 56
1: b reed talking there to paul told me if you'd like to follow b you can find it on instagram at bread 56 that's b e a . r e i d 56 her new single see her is available to stream and download from all major music platforms And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on MeridianFM.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.